talk today about, actually, what I wanted to talk today about, Mr. Mr. Zvolby talked to you about it yesterday, so I had to uh, quickly make some alterations to my message today. Uh, but what I want to talk today about is something that is so fundamentally important that if we don't act upon it, uh, we, we won't be in the kingdom. And uh, you know, there, are, there are a number of things that, expectations that God does set for us that we, we need to be actively working on. But this one in particular, I wanted to cover perhaps sort of in a Bible study type uh, fashion. But um, I think hopefully by the end of the message uh, today, you will have, uh, have had some things to consider and, and also perhaps understand um, our responsibilities of course, in First Peter chapter three and verse eighteen, we we know that scripture there fairly well. It says to grow in grace and knowledge, uh, and the indication there is that God expects us to be uh, growing. Expects us not to just sit and be happy with the way we are, who we are, and not be changing. Uh, when God calls us out of the world, He calls us from deception, uh, from blindness, from a way of life that is uh, so contrary to God's God's way of life. And He says, now that I'm opening your mind, I'm revealing truth to you. You need to be growing, and you need to be acting, as we heard in the sermonette. We need to have ears to hear, uh, not just hear these things and then walk away and forget. But we need to be growing. So we'll start in uh, Matthew chapter 18 and we'll read a, a verse here, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3, which uh, is an instruction by Jesus Christ himself, our, the one who we follow, we're to be disciples of Christ, and uh, he has come in the flesh to set us an example, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3 and this is a part of that development and growth because I know that all of us want to be in the kingdom of God uh, we heard this morning about the glory that we will shine with God's glory as spiritful members in the family of God and uh, we certainly do look forward to that but we have a responsibility ourselves here in Matthew chapter 18 verse 3 and, and uh, almost start in verse 2 where Jesus called a little child to him and said in the midst of them and said assuredly I say to you it's an interesting word assuredly so I'll speak, I'm speaking in truth now uh, this, this is uh, something that uh, Christ was very definite about he says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And so in that one very simple sentence, instruction, Jesus Christ says, unless you are converted, unless you become as a little child, you won't be in the kingdom of God. And so we realize here that this important statement says that unless this conversion process takes place unless we understand what conversion really is then we're going to miss out on one of the greatest opportunities that God is preparing uh, for, for not only for us but for all of mankind and so Unless there is a conversion, we will not be in the kingdom. So what is conversion? What is conversion? 
And that is what we will discuss today. What is true conversion? My title is, What Does It Mean to Be Converted? As I said, we are to grow in grace and knowledge. We are to be changing. To give you a brief explanation, we'll probably expound on the explanation as we go through the sermon so that we understand it, but a brief explanation to begin with. Conversion is the changing of our mind and our actions from the carnal way of the natural man to a different way of thinking, a different way of acting and changing into and becoming more like and having the very nature and qualities of God. So we're converting from the carnal, natural, fleshly mind way of life to a spiritual mind, a spiritual way of life. Perhaps we have read this this word in the past and we have been influenced in our understanding of it because of false doctrines, perhaps the born-again doctrine, the uh, doctrine of the immortal soul. Uh, We see in society the word used more commonly um, when we talk about somebody who converts to, from, say, Catholicism to Christianity. It's conversion. I've converted to from uh, Muslim to to Christian. That's conversion. That's about as deep as it gets uh, in a lot of people's understanding of conversion. I've converted from rugby union to Aussie rules. (laughs) From cricket to hockey. Uh, We we change our preferences. But it's a lot more than that. Conversion isn't just being an atheist and all of a sudden now I'm a Christian. And Jesus Christ was talking to his disciples. They were already converted in that sense. And he says to them, unless you are converted, you won't be in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. What was Christ talking about? Because it just wasn't being from a fisherman to a priest or a tent maker to a minister. There's some very important things that we, brethren, unless we understand, unless we begin to to make the changes to convert in the context that Jesus Christ is talking about, we won't be in the kingdom. And that's really what we want to talk about today. And so Christ's instruction is far deeper and more profound than perhaps we, we understand. So to convert something means to change from one purpose or form or use to another. So we convert perhaps an empty block of land. We convert, let's talk about it in sort of context that we might initially understand, an empty block of land and now they're building a coal supermarket. That land is being converted from one purpose to another. You can convert, um, convert water into steam, liquid into gas. That's a conversion. It was water and now it's gas. It's something completely different. Its purpose and its function and its, its, its existence is for, a, for a, a much different use. And this is the analogy that can help us to 
uh, begin to understand what conversion talks about. We read on the first day of the feast, I think on the second day as well, we read in Isaiah where the swords were turned into plowshares. Weapons of war turned into or converted into instruments of agriculture. Conversion. As it says, spears into pruning hooks. That is conversion. So conversion is about change. And so Jesus Christ is saying, unless we change, we won't be in the kingdom of heaven. And so we have to, brethren, as God's people, go through a very important change in our lives, in our mind. It goes to the point where we need to change we're much deeper than just changing our faith or changing our church or changing our outward appearance. We're talking about an internal change. Something that is far deeper than the physical outward appearance. We're talking about changing the heart and changing the mind. That is beginning to touch more deeply on or more specifically on what conversion is that Christ is talking about. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 36 to have a look at uh, an interesting uh, passage here and we're looking at the change that will begin to take place on all of humanity because humanity at the moment is hostile, it's against God, it's against God's way of life, it resents God saying, God, get out of my life, and God is going to make a change and humanity will be converted in that sense. Ezekiel chapter 36, from one approach, one way of life, to something completely different. Ezekiel 36 and verse 23, I will sanctify my great name which has been profaned among the nations which uh, you have profaned in their midst. Because God's talking to Israel here, and you know, Israel was given God's laws, and Israel, rather instead of obeying God, was sought after the gods of the nations around them. Started worshiping idols, performing all sorts of uh, horrible uh, religious ritual acts, and God's name was profaned uh, in their midst. And the nation, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed. Uh, in you before their eyes, for I will take from among the na- you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. And this is what the con- this is the conversion that will take place. And then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. So the nation of Israel was previously. Uh, Uh, profaning God's way of life they were contrary to God's way and God says I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you I'm going to clean you up wash you out and you shall be clean I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols and I will give you a new heart because their old heart was carnal was fleshly And he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and you will do them. 
Now, the nation of Israel had turned their back so completely on God as we see the world today, as we, brethren, ourselves were before we were called. And he will put his spirit in them and he will teach them their, his judgments and they will keep them. Verse 28, And you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all of your uncleanness. This is the conversion process that has to happen with us. Otherwise, as Christ said in Matthew 18, we will not be in the kingdom of heaven. So it's a heart, it's a mind, it's a new spirit, it's a new approach, it's a new way of life completely from what we were and who we were. Verse 30, And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. And you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake should I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you and be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, referring in a sense to baptism, the day that we are cleansed from our sins, I will enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. Well, our whole way of life that we've lived will begin to come back together again. We will have peace. And oftentimes when we call, when God calls us, we, he calls us from the depths of despair, usually people who are going through great trials or personal problems. Uh, the people that call us up you typically will call us and say, look, I need help. My family's falling apart. I've got a health problem. Life is a mess. Uh, they're, and they're call, crying out to God. Uh, for things to get better and once those sins are forgiven once we start to live God's way of life then in a sense we physically begin to be rebuilt uh, just as it says here that uh, as Israel would be rebuilt the desolate ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited and the nations which are left all around you shall know that I the Lord have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate no we can't uh, take the credit for these things brethren we need to recognize that it is only through God's power that we can uh, come out of our sinful ways to be rebuilt and I the Lord have spoken it and will do it thus says the Lord God I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do uh, to do this for them I will uh, I will increase their men like a flock, like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock of Jerusalem on its feast days. So shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men. And so the whole world will go through a, a conversion process. That's what Ezekiel's talking about here in this context. We also can read in Deuteronomy chapter 30 that same change that has to happen which is called conversion. Deuteronomy chapter 20 and verse 6. <clears throat> Sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 30 uh, and verse 6. Notice, notice uh, the instruction here. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Perhaps we need to ask ourselves sometimes the question, brethren, do we 
love God with all our heart, with all our soul? Or are we weekend Christians? Are we Saturday Christians? And the rest of the week we're off pursuing our own pleasures? Certainly we have to work, we have to provide for our families, we have responsibilities, we have uh, jobs and commitments to take care of, but do we go through the whole week and then all of a sudden we get to the Sabbath and we go, oh yeah, that's right, I've got to go to church. (laughs) Well, we need to be more than just weekend Christians, We we need to be Christians every day of our life, but it says there, the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God verse 6 with all of your heart with all your soul that you may live also the Lord your God will put all of these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you and persecute you and you and you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command you today Uh, And verse 9, the Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey, and that's the key, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, or his statutes which are written in the book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, your physical life, that you give over to Jesus Christ, he becomes our Lord and Master. He owns us. He paid for us through his, through his blood. He paid the price, the ransom price. And God says there that we need to turn to him with all of our heart, with all of our soul. That's conversion. That's what Jesus Christ was talking about there in Matthew 18. Unless we do that, if we're not prepared to give up everything, as Christ says, we cannot be his disciple unless we put him first, above brother and sister and mother and even your own life also. And you go to Hebrews, the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, and look at those who went before us, who gave their life for their belief. That's what Jesus Christ is talking about. So we ask ourselves the question, we examine ourselves on the day of, on, at, leading up to Passover, am I growing? Am I being converted? Am I changing as I should be? Is my heart and my mind and my personality changing? Is my character developing? Is, are my actions reflecting that of Jesus Christ? Because if they're not, Christ says we won't be in the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to change the way we think. Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks about the change that has to take place in our mind. Romans chapter 12. And verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I plead, as Paul is pleading with us, because he recognizes how important this is, 
He says, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This word transformed comes from the Greek metamorpho, which comes from the word metamorphosis, which means to change from one to another. And we, we see that take place perhaps in a butterfly where a caterpillar uh, is, is living and eating all your vegetables. Uh, and then all of a sudden it turns into a nice white moth and, and flies away. Well, that's, that's the metamorphosis that takes place. It has to take place in us as well. It takes place in our lives where we were previously under the influence of Satan the devil. And then God calls us and we start to make a change in our mind, in our thinking. We also can see in 2 Corinthians same, the same instruction to be changing, but changing into what? We don't want to turn into caterpillars and butterflies. We want to turn into something else. Now, what is it that we need to be metamorphosing into? 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. It's the same word, metamorpho. We're being changed into another form. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're being changed into something glorious, brethren, by the Spirit of the Lord. Romans 8.29 gives us an even deeper understanding of what we're changing into. Romans 8 verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. And this word conformed means to convert into or to conform into something, to change into. We are to be conformed into the image of his son. So that change that is taking place is, is a change that requires us to begin to reflect Jesus Christ. The word, the logos. The one who spoke and the earth existed. One had power of the universe to create all things just by speaking. That's who we're and what we're conforming into and transforming into and being conformed to. Conformed to, his, to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He's the one that's gone before us and we are... Uh, working towards that same change that Jesus Christ uh, had himself from physical to spiritual. It's another aspect of that a conversion that, that has to take place. We'll, we'll look at that very soon. So we see here, brethren, that we need to change our whole approach, our whole mind, our whole attitude must change. 
And our mind needs to change. And there's two types of minds that exist, brethren. There are two minds that exist. The first is the carnal mind, and the second is the spiritual mind. Carnal mind and the spiritual mind. And the carnal mind is a mind that means that its fleshly exists without God and is influenced by the physical senses. The carnal mind is influenced by the physical senses and by the emotional responses. The Apostle Paul talks about this mind and its, this carnal mind and its limitations in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And this, this, brethren, is the mind that we want to, that we, we had. Hopefully we are converting from this mind into something else, but we do need to understand <coughs> this mind because we're not perfect yet. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, it, it helps us to see the limitations of this carnal mind and why we... Without, uh, without the change, we, we simply are, are quite ignorant of, of what God is doing. Second, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, But the natural man does not, or the carnal man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You know, the carnal mind cannot understand... God's laws. That's why you can argue until you're black and blue in the face with your neighbor or your husband or your wife or your boss or whoever it is about why they should keep the Sabbath, why they should give up eating unclean food, why we don't go to heaven when we die. Because that's that carnal mind which is switched off. And, and it's foolishness. You end up having a foolish debate with someone and you just have to just throw your hands up and say, look, there's no point. I can't have this conversation with you because it's a carnal, closed mind to the things of God. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. And that is the carnal mind. And if and unless we are converted, this is what Christ is, is saying, then we really cannot understand God's purpose, God's plan, his laws. And instead we're in opposition to him. We're self-willed. We are self-reliant. We're, we're unteachable. That's the carnal mind. And we need to change. The Apostle Paul goes even further and states that if we remain in this state, ultimately it leads to death. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. This is why Christ said, you will not see the kingdom of heaven because if we aren't converted, if we don't have this change, and if we stay in that carnal state, that carnal mind, ultimately it's death. Romans 8 verse 6. Well, let's start in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Well, the things that just keep us occupied. You know, the football, the races, you know, um, reality TV. <laughs> All of those things that just keep us 
dumbs us, dumbs us down, really. We set our minds on the things of the flesh, uh, things that please the flesh. Uh, but those who live according to the Spirit are the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally minded or fleshly mind, minded is death. If we stay that way, brethren, there's, there is no hope, there is no future in the kingdom of God. For to be carnally minded is uh, enmity or is hostility. The, the carnal mind, verse 7. Uh, sorry, let me just go back to verse 6. Uh, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. And that word enmity means hostile, it's against God. And unless we repent of that, unless we change, uh, it's going to take us in only one direction. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. And that's why it says they're spiritually minded is life and peace. Now that you, you put it into practice, and I'm sure you have already, when you start keeping God's laws, you receive a, an incredible sense of peace in your life. And when we keep God's laws, we have that peace. But if we don't, we're in opposition to God, to God's nature, his character. Well, then we cannot please God, as it says there in verse 8. Then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So clearly the carnal state cannot know God, cannot obey God, and cannot please God. And so we need to be converted from that carnal state into a spiritual state where we are no longer cut off from God. Notice verse 9 there. But if you are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, of course through the Holy Spirit at baptism, we've had the hands laid on us, if the Spirit of God dwells in you now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So if you haven't come to that point in your life where you've recognized the need for God's Spirit to be given to you, a down payment, an earnest, then you are still carnal. And as it says there, to be carnally minded is death. So we need God's Spirit to help us in this process of conversion. We cannot do it on our own. It's impossible. We cannot change from that carnal nature into God's nature, a spiritual nature. And the only way for that to happen is uh, explained to us in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Acts chapter 2, of course the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost was preaching uh, a powerful sermon so powerful that those who were listening came to recognize their human nature their carnality they had been previously not so long ago crying out for the death of of Jesus Christ to put him to death they said <clears throat> and the apostle uh, Peter here uh, in verse 36 of chapter 2, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They had to be pricked. Their conscience had to be pricked and when they came to recognise their carnality and what they had just done and who they were and how easy it was for them to be um, affected certainly by a, a spirit there. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what should we do? And brethren, we've, many of us have come to that point in our lives where we've recognized ourselves. We've come to ourselves in that sense and we've said, what do we need to do? I don't want to be the way I was. I, want, I need to change. And Peter explains there in verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of forgiveness of sins that you may and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we just read about a little earlier on. So conversion re- requires true repentance, brethren, not just being sorry. You know, some people... Um, go through some trials in life they perhaps they have been smoking all their life and they get lung cancer and uh, they they recognize that they've made some mistakes and they're sorry how many people do you see in the cancer ward taking walking out the front door and having a smoke uh, while they're getting their chemo treatment well they're not they haven't repented they're sorry in a sense because you know it's caught up with them but there needs to be a much deeper sorrow than just just a very superficial sorrowfulness uh, like that we need to recognize that our sins were what put Christ to death and our sorrow must be our change our conversion must be a lot deeper than just a superficial sorrow 2 Corinthians chapter 7 points us to a sorrow that we need to have. Not a, <clears throat> not a superficial sorrow. We can't, we can't just uh, rest on that. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, a very interesting passage here in verse 8. The Apostle Paul had to make some uh, corrections to the church in Corinth he wrote a a bit of a stern corrective letter to them and it had good effect but in verse 8 he says even if if I made you sorry with my letter I do not regret it though I did regret it for I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry though only for a while it's like when I was a kid dad would say don't you do that and I'd say I'm sorry dad because I knew I'd get spanking (laughs) I wanted to to avoid that bit of pain Uh, but I wasn't really sorry because a week later I did it again and the kind of the kind of repentance and sorrow that God's looking for is the sorrow that says I will never do that again I will never break your laws again that's the conversion, that's the change that God wants to see in all of us. He says there, we made you sorry but only for a little while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, to change. 
to, to conversion. For what, for you were made uh, sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So we, we need to, to have this depth of understanding of why we need to make those changes in our life. Leading to repentance, leading to conversion. And that's what God is looking for. And we can practically look at that in Galatians chapter 5, that change that has to take place in us. Galatians chapter 5 gives us a fairly clear description of the kind of changes that we need to start to make in our life. Because we can't stay the same, brethren. And who you were 10 years ago should not be who you are today. And who you are today should not be who you are in 5 or 10 years from now. You need to be growing and overcoming and converting into something that reflects Jesus Christ. We're here in Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. Now the works of the flesh, remember the the flesh we read about in Romans, the carnal mind. The carnal mind, the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry. And these are all the things that we did before we were called. We had idols. We were worshipping other things. We were involved in uh, wrong practices and acts and parties and all sorts of things that were damaging our bodies, no doubt. God says you don't want to be that way anymore. You have to convert from that. Idolatry, sorcery. Verse 20, hatred. Now, those are the things where Christ is magnifying the law. Not just the letter of the law, but now the spirit of the law has to be kept. That's why, you know, brethren, I see even members of the church sometimes who, who have conflicts with each other. And I think, are we, are we still, you know, you read in Romans, it says, well, there's still contentions amongst you. Are you not still carnal behaving as mere men? And sometimes it's sad to see people who've been in the church for 20, 30 years acting so carnally. That's why Christ says, unless you are converted and change, you won't be in the kingdom. And this is the works of the flesh, hatred, which is murder. And that needs to be repented of. You're sure somebody's going to do something that's going to hurt you or you know, give you some pain, but uh, how you deal with that will determine the depth of conversion that you have. And so contentions and jealousies, outbursts of wrath, you know, these are all things of the flint. These are the things we should be coming out of, brethren. Envies, murders, drunkenness. Not that we're having too many murders in the church these days, thankfully. But if you have a problem with drink, then be careful about that. No drunkard will be in the kingdom. 
You know, it's not wrong to have a drink, of course, but we better be very careful. As Mr. Armstrong says, it's not the thing, it's the misuse of a thing. It's the wrong use of a thing. And if you have a drink, and if you have another one, and if you think three is too much, you should probably stop. <laughs> and revelries and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And brethren, assuredly I say... If we look at that and if we are if we're falling down, if we're guilty of these things, if we if we do have jealousies, if we do sometimes lose our temper, if there is selfish ambition, well then we need to we need to repent of that. Because that is carnal. And Christ says, unless we're converted from that carnal nature, we won't see the kingdom. Verse 22, and this is what we're converting to, the spirit. This is where we need to be focusing our attention now as we grow. The fruit of the spirit is love. And love is patient. Love is, love suffers long, is kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, does not seek its own. does not think evil that's what love is God is love and that's what we're converting to love is joy love is joy joy is joy <laughs> the spirit is joy you know, and, and we see that brethren we see God's people are happy and I, I, it's probably happened to you it's happened to me I've had people come up to me and say well, you, every time I see you you're always happy you always got a smile on your face. And it's nice. And I think, you know what? That's because I have God's Spirit. And people can see that. They sense it in God's people. And we need to reflect these fruits of God's Spirit. Peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so we need to be converting from that, the works of the flesh to the works of the spirit, as Paul talks about here practically. But brethren, once you have God's spirit, once you are in that process of conversion, you know, being converted doesn't happen straight away. You know, it's not a click of the fingers and all of a sudden you're converted. It's a process. It's a lifelong process. We read in Acts chapter 3.19, says, Repent therefore and be converted. The process that frankly will take a lifetime. But we need to be actively working towards that. In Psalm 19 verse 7, it says, The law of God is perfect, converting the soul. And God's law will guide us. It will be a lamp to our feet. It will help us in those difficult times. And it will begin that process when we're applying God's laws. It will convert the soul. This spiritual growth, brethren, this conversion will take time. It will take effort. It will take diligence. You'll have some, you'll have some wins and you'll have some losses. You'll have some, you'll have some obstacles to face from time to time. We know a great example of conversion, though. We see one fine example of one individual. We can look at Saul, 
who demonstrates this process of conversion and also the longer term battle that he had. And if uh, Saul went through this, I think we can all relate to him. Let's just rehearse some of his example there. But Galatians chapter 1, we'll look at a few scriptures here. But to begin with, we see him in his carnal state here in Galatians. Uh, Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, became a great apostle. But in Galatians uh, chapter 1, notice, notice him in his carnal state, verse 11. But I made known to you, brethren, that, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. And this, the gospel was not his own invention. This was something that God taught him. He was in Arabia for three uh, years. And so the gospel was taught to Paul directly by Christ himself. But he says it was not preached by me is not according to man for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it but it came through the revelation of uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ verse 13 for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it this was Paul's carnal nature he was zealous so zealous that he was putting church members to death killed Stephen the deacon and he was out desperately trying to round up as many Christians as he possibly could to, to destroy them to destroy the church that's you know I mean talk about hatred that's not a fruit of God's spirit he says I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. You know, God is the one that calls us out of our old way of life. So Paul certainly was quite carnal, although he was a, he was a Pharisee. He was a very zealous, very deceived. When we turn to Acts uh, chapter 20, we see that Paul, uh, while he was uh, on the road to Damascus to round up some more Christians, something strange happened to him. Something that he never imagined in his wildest dreams would ever happen. Acts chapter 20. Sorry. My mistake, I think I said Acts chapter 9 there. Acts chapter 9, not 20. Acts chapter 9 and verse 20, we'll start reading there. Actually, I'm going to change my mind again. <laughs> Acts chapter 9, I think we'll start in, um, we start in verse 1 for a bit. And then Saul still breathing threats of murder. We just read in Galatians how he was so actively pursuing the church. And still Paul was breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether man or woman, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now this man was on a mission to destroy the church of God. <laughs> 
And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now that would be a frightening thing to experience. To see this great light from heaven shine and hearing this voice saying, Why are you persecuting me, Saul? And he said, Who are you? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And so trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He had a conversion right there. A change that began to take place at that moment. He said, What do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city that you have been told, and you will be told what you must do. And of course, he meets Ananias. Uh, of course, Paul was uh, blinded for was the three days there, I guess. Meets Ananias, who then um, uh, baptizes him. And in verse 20, notice what it says here. Immediately he preached uh, the Christ in the synagogues and he, that he was the Son of God. And all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on, uh, who called on this name in, Ju- in Jerusalem and has, come, and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? And people are saying, Well, this is the guy that was just trying to kill us last week. And now he's preaching. What's he doing up there? I mean, you would be skeptical. But his conversion was incredibly profound in his mind and his his whole thinking changed at that point. His whole direction changed. And now he was preaching Christ in the synagogues. Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength. Because he was baptized, he had God's spirit. He has, he, now he could understand the spiritual. Before, he could only understand that the spiritual was foolishness to him. And that's why he was going out murdering Christians. His whole way of thinking, his whole approach changed as he began to be converted and went through this process. Verse 27, verse 26, and then Saul came to Jerusalem. He tried uh, to join the disciples, but they wouldn't have anything to do with him. Uh, and they were all afraid of him. I thought he was, gonna, he was tricking them. He thought, this is, this is a trick. He's going he's gonna, he's gonna to catch us out, and then he's going to arrest us, and we'll all go to jail. And so the apostles were very skeptical. Now they were afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and, and what he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so he was with them. So eventually Barnabas convinced the rest of the disciples that this guy's okay. He vouched for him. And of course it became very obvious by his, by his sermons and the whole change of approach that Paul had that he was really now one of them but that did that mean Paul was now perfect did it mean that he had no problems anymore and that he was a perfect saint well no conversion is a process when Christ says unless you're converted you won't be in the kingdom it doesn't mean one morning you wake up you're converted and it's all done conversion is a process and Paul continues to explain that in Romans chapter 7. And this is the man who had gone from 
one who was persecuting the Christians with such passion to being struck down on the road to Damascus, to being taught by Jesus Christ at one point. But prior to that, of course, as we just read, he was accepted by his peers. But even Paul, as an incredible man as he was, he struggled with that carnal nature. He struggled as we do, brethren. We struggle with it each and every day. I know that I do. Maybe I'm the only one, but I have trouble with that. You know, some days I wake up, I pray, and I say, Father, please help me with this. You know, I've got this problem. I'm going through this trial, and I'm thinking bad thoughts, and then I start out the day, I do well, and then next thing I know, I'm, I'm doing exactly the thing that I prayed that I wouldn't do, and then I was doing it. And this is the problem that, that the Apostle Paul faced because that, that, that human nature, that carnal fleshly nature is powerful. And we can't bring that into the kingdom with us. It's got to be, we have to convert, we have to change into something else and leave that behind. Romans, uh, Romans chapter 7, <clears throat> verse 14, we'll just read. Oh, have I got the right? Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, what I will to do, those things that I, that my, my soul, my, my mind, my heart, the things that I want to do, I know the way of life I need to live and the thoughts that I need to have. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. How many of you, don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of you can relate to that? There's something in your life that you've been trying to overcome perhaps for decades. It's a powerful grip on us, isn't it? That what what we what we will to do we do not do and that we hate that's what we do. And if then I do what I will to do what I will not to do I agree with the law that it is good but now it is no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is my flesh that's the carnal nature nothing good dwells. That's why we have to be converted. We have to change. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. We cannot do it on our own, brethren. We simply don't have the strength and the the power to overcome these things without God's Spirit. For the good, verse 19, that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will uh, not to do... It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And I find then a law that evil is present with me. For the one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Yeah, of course. We know what's right. We know what's right, but... Bacon and eggs taste so good. 
We know we shouldn't work into the Sabbath. We know when the sun sets, that's it. And yet our carnal nature says, you know what? We justify it. We say, look, it's only five or ten minutes. God will understand. Yeah, he understands all right. It's a sin. The wages of sin is death. And we're not faithful in our tithes, brethren. We're stealing from God. And we know that. We know those things. You know, we do it, we convince ourselves that's that carnal nature that's getting in our minds saying, you know what, it's okay. God will understand. And this is what Paul was fighting with. He says there, verse 23, But I see another law in my members warring against the the law of my mind. We have to change the way we think. We have to change our approach. This other law that is warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. He recognizes that there's a battle going on. And we all we all are facing facing that battle and those challenges in life. But we certainly need to overcome that. That's why we have to be overcomers, brethren. The Apostle Paul grappled with that carnal nature and was constantly weighing heavy on him, pulling him down, but he realized that with Christ's help, he could overcome those three things, the world, Satan, society, and ourselves. And so truly, as the Apostle Paul demonstrates, a converted person or somebody who is in that process of conversion is not yet perfect, But there will be times when a person does make mistakes. But you know, the good thing is that God looks at the heart. Because, yeah, it's it's hard. You know, you do these things, it it weighs heavy on the heart, right? There's guilt there. Seriously. But we know that God looks at the heart. And that's the thing that we need to always keep in mind. God is looking at the heart and the approach and the attitude. He knows that from time to time we will slip, we'll fall down, we have to pick ourselves up and move on. But God looks at the heart. Notice First Corinthians chapter 28, sorry, First Chronicles, right to the Old Testament there, First Chronicles chapter 28. First Chronicles 28, verse 9. <clears throat> That's, this is uh, talking about King Solomon here, as it says in verse 9, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches all the hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. And that that's, gives great comfort and peace to know that God can look into the heart and the mind of each one of us 
And what is the intent behind it? Yes, we may slip up and we may fall down from time to time, but are we doing it willfully? James says, he who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So we need to be careful we're not willfully practicing these things. We need to be actively changing and repenting. But God also knows that we are weak still, we are carnal, and we have moments where we slip up. You look at all of the, the, you know, you you go through the scriptures, do a Bible study on it, and look at all of God's servants. You know, they've all, from one one time or another, have made some pretty grave mistakes. And uh, you look at King David, classic example. A fantastic man after God's own heart, and yet look what he, he fell down. Perhaps drifted away from God for a while, and all of a sudden he's out in his veranda looking at at the view probably looked, thought I'm going to go out tomorrow to see if there's another view and next thing you know he's murdering committing adultery and he, he repented and so those things happen look at Jonah great prophet until God says you go to Nineveh and tell them they need to repent and Jonah's like no get you know they all, they're, they're all wicked. They all need to be wiped out. And God said, no. No, Jonah. We need to be merciful. And so God, Jonah ran away from God. I don't think God was pleased with that. And there are times there where we will go through these things, but God does look at the heart and God is merciful, thankfully. He says there, he searches all the hearts and understands the intents and the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And that's what we need to be doing, brethren, continually seeking God. He knows our faults. He knows our shortcomings. Yet in spite of that, God has called us to be temples of the Holy Spirit. He wants to work with us and prepare us for an incredible future. The other phase of conversion, brethren, is referred to in John chapter 3 and verse 1. And that is converting ultimately, which is God's plan is to convert us from physical into spiritual. That's a conversion that unless that happens as well, we won't be in the kingdom either. We'll read, soon flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So a conversion of a physical conversion into a spirit, to that of the spirit, has to happen for us to be in the kingdom as well. John chapter 3, John here is, um, Christ here is talking with Nicodemus, or Nicodemus has come to visit Christ, and asks Christ a question. I can quickly get here. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, verse 1, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from, uh, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus assuredly said to him, most assuredly I say to you, uh, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom uh, of God. But what does that mean? born again well you talk to a lot of Christians these days and they'll say they were born again 
My dad used to say, well, what was the kingdom like? <laughs> you must have seen it, because it says there, if, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom. So what was it like? And that's when he was asked to leave. <laughs> Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and, uh, and be born? Well, of course not. It's not what Christ is talking about. It's talking about a spiritual birth here. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It has to be a conversion from flesh into spirit before we will be in the kingdom of heaven. Do not marvel, verse 7, I say this to you, but you must be born again. Uh, and of course, he goes on and talks about that. Let's just continue on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which, of course, complements what Paul uh, Christ is teaching to Nicodemus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We will be converted. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death <clears throat> is swallowed up in victory. And so this is the change, the conversion, that final conversion. So once we get our mind and our heart, our approach changed, once we've gone through that process, then then the actual change and that when we're actually born into the family of God can take place. And of course, that final stage is in Second Peter chapter three and verse ten. We'll just turn there. Second Peter chapter three and verse ten. Because if we're still physical, when this particular episode happens, then then there will be no chance of us being in the kingdom. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Second Peter 3 verse 10. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now, ultimately, everything physical is on this earth will come to an end. When, everyone, when everything, everyone is spirit in the kingdom of God, after the thousand years, there will be no need for an atmosphere, for gravity. There won't be a need for, for water and oxygen because every, every being, human being, will now be changed into spirit. It's going to be a completely different environment 
As it says here, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, uh, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. The carnal fleshly nature will not enter into the kingdom. It simply won't be able to exist in that environment as we read there in Second Peter. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 18. We've got a couple of... We've got a minute or two. Matthew chapter 18. Let's just go back to the beginning here and just consider Christ's instruction here with this point of conversion Matthew chapter 18 verse 1 at that time the disciples came to Jesus saying who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven so we get a context of the question that is posed to God the disciples are kind of arguing about who's going to have the greatest job who's going to be the boss in the kingdom of heaven and that's uh, carnal. It's a very carnal approach. <laughs> and Christ says, well, if that's your attitude, you're not going to be in the kingdom. You guys need to learn some things before you're going to get there. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said to his disciples, grown men, he said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, you guys need to change your approach. It's not about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. You've got it mixed up. You've got it wrong. And with this attitude, you're not even going to be there. Unless you're converted and become as little children, change your approach. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus Christ is demonstrating a very important principle for us, brethren, is that we need to learn humility we need to recognize that without humility we will not be in the kingdom we need to get rid of our pride our vanity our spirit of competition our earthly ambitions we need to recognize that it was satan's pride that caused him to fall and that we must be called and be converted and have a different approach just as a little child. You know, a child does not sit there worrying who's going to be the greatest. A child is, is an innocent, little, fragile creature that just relies completely and solely on mum and dad. Dad and mum. For everything. And that's how we need to be. You know, society is built on... I can, you know, I'm, I'm the greatest, I can do it, I don't need anyone's help. Well, God the Father wants us to, to turn to Him, to work with Him, to look up to Him, to trust in Him. We read Matthew chapter 6, we won't turn there, but it says, uh, we know this, that where it says, seek first the kingdom and all these things shall be added to you. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. You know, when I was a kid, I wasn't worried about those things. Always had clothes. Mum and Dad always gave me food. Always had a house to live in. 
And as a kid, it wasn't even on my mind. And Jesus Christ here in Matthew 18 is saying, you need to have that sort of childlike faith to be in the kingdom of God. Just as a little child. One that is prepared to fully and completely put our whole life in the hands of God. Brethren, hum, humble Christians are the most uh, Christians are, are most like Christ, and Christ gave us the perfect example in Philippians chapter two, and verse five. Let's just turn there, Philippians two and verse five. Surely Christ is our example. He humbled himself, gave us an example to work towards, so that we can qualify to be members in God's family, younger brothers of Jesus Christ, and ultimately preparing now to become the bride of Christ. Philippians 2 and verse 5. This is the admonition for us, brethren. This is where we need to be. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. The apostles were saying, hey, who's going to be the greatest? They were looking for position. Jesus Christ, he had the position. He gave it up so that he could serve. And that's the mind that we need to have. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Now we need to be prepared, brethren, if necessary, to follow in Christ's example. We need to be able to put our whole life on the line if necessary. Verse 9, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and those in heaven and those on earth and those on uh, those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord uh, to the glory of the uh, God the Father. And so every knee will bow, every knee will submit, everyone ultimately will come to that point where they will have been converted and they will have a mind to submit to Jesus Christ and to God the Father. And only then, brethren, will we qualify to be in the coming kingdom of God. Just one, one final scripture in, in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Ultimately, brethren, this is what we need to do. Verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, that's what we need to be working towards, you will live. For as many hours as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, children of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of bondage again to fear but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out Abba Father and the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That's the glorious future that we look forward to, brethren. That's why we're here. To become heirs, members, and part of the very family of God, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together in the coming kingdom of God. Brethren, it's only when we are truly converted will we be in the kingdom of God. And so we need to be like these little children. We need to be humble. We need to be converted. We need to have a mind and a heart that is one that will submit to God's laws. Not make excuses. Not try and find the easy way around. Just simply put our lives in God's hands and simply trust that God knows best. Brethren, let's be like those little children and let's be glorified together with the Lord.